This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Do you have what it takes to be a great sales coach? I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, and coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. So excited to have you back. This means you probably listened to one of our first couple of episodes and decided to uh, come back for this one. Really appreciate you doing that. Let's dive in to episode three. When we consider the question, do you have what it takes to be a great sales coach? I think we have to break that down because there's a few questions sort of implied or that you can infer that uh, go into that question. The first one is, do you really want to be a great sales coach, right? So as I talk about this topic over the next little while, I'm gonna presume that you want to be a great sales coach. Why do I presume that? Well, because you're listening to this episode, right? So the desire must be there, right? If you're like any other pursuit, if you want to be a great sales coach, it's a lot like being great at anything else. It's about understanding what great looks like and practicing a lot, right? That's how you get great. So really the big idea here in terms of what great sales coaching looks like, I'll start out by saying that great coaching looks a lot like great selling. And if you're in position to lead salespeople, I'm willing to bet that you have pretty effective selling skills yourself. In fact, that's a good reason for probably why you've been elevated into this role in the first place. So great coaching looks a lot like great selling. What do I mean? If we really break down what great selling looks like, what we discover is that what we're really doing is selling change, albeit small incremental changes, but we're selling change, right? To whom? To the people that we coach, whether you have a practice like mine, where the people that you coach are clients uh, external to your business, or you're a frontline leader or a leader of leaders uh, who's responsible for the development of a team of salespeople or sales managers, you're selling change to those people on a daily basis. And if you consider what you've done as a professional salesperson in the past, right, or even maybe currently, perhaps you're still carrying a bag or have your own territory, plus you're coaching others, or maybe you're listening to this episode and you are an aspiring leader or an aspiring sales coach, that selling change is what you do on a daily basis. It just happens that your title has changed and you have more responsibility for the development of people and more responsibility uh, for executing the strategy of a business. Now, if the skills for great selling and great coaching were easy to come by, easy to develop, everyone would be doing it. Let's acknowledge right up front that becoming a great sales coach may not be in the cards for everyone. Hence the question that I asked at the top of this episode, do you have what it takes to be a great sales coach? Let's explore that. So one of the things I've already said is that great coaching, again, looks a lot like great selling. And what we're really doing is selling change, albeit small and incremental changes. There are a few things that we have to acknowledge. First is that change is hard, right? Change is hard for people. Why is that? 
Well, change is so hard because of a few things that are frankly outside of our control. But we'll still talk about what we can do about these things, right? So why is change hard? Well, first, confirmation bias, right? What I believe to be true is true to me until I conclude otherwise, right? And any information that someone else gives me that conflicts with what I believe to be true is going to be met with some pushback. You know, going back to my time at Huffweight, and this is actually, these are rules of communication we used to talk about back in the Huffweight spin selling days, but it's, I think these still resonate, still true. And, and when I share this with other people, they're like, wow, that's, that's so true, right? Of human communication. And it speaks to confirmation bias. We used to say two things about the rules of communication. First, people value their own conclusions versus what they are told by others. And second, people value what they request versus what is freely given to them. So those simple rules of communication speak to like, how should we engage with people or how should we orient ourselves to conversation with others when we believe that a change is required? Maybe there's a problem in their approach or there's an opportunity they're missing or there's another way for them to get the outcome that they want, right? We can see it clear as day. And for so many of us that are in sales leadership roles or coaching roles today, that's the case. We've seen these situations over and over again. We're dying to tell people what to do, right? But in the end, great sales coaches know that one of the biggest barriers to change, even small, incremental, simple little changes is confirmation bias, right? I am not going to believe what you tell me until I conclude it's true. Let me come to that conclusion. I'm not going to value the advice that you have to share or your tips and tricks unless I request them. Help me reach that point where I realize I really need those tips and tricks, coach, right? So these are some of the reasons for why change is so hard. I'll get into you know, some of the behavioral approaches that, that matter here with regard to confirmation bias and how do we combat it. But there's a first big message here, which I think is really critically important that people who are first entering into sales coaching or sales leadership roles that they don't necessarily realize, especially those who have a bias toward action, who are maybe a little bit impatient, that in order to sell change, in order to help people to come to new conclusions and buy in to our tips and tricks and our, our advice, we have to be patient. Patience is a must. Great coaches demonstrate patience. The flip side of that, of course, is impatience, right? Impatience leads to ineffective coaching. What do I mean? Here's an example of how impatience leads to ineffective coaching. In this example, a sales manager has eight salespeople on their team. They observe uh, by way of recordings and live observation of sales calls, a consistent problem among their team of salespeople, several of the sales reps who are really doing a poor job of opening calls, uh, how they open calls, set agendas, ask initial discovery questions, and it's really apparent, so much so that the sales manager has a degree of uh, frustration over how often this is happening. And so this sales manager decides to send up sort of a blanket message to the team pointing out the error, right? pointing out the issue 
with how people are approaching opening their calls and asking discovery questions. You can already hear where maybe there's a misstep right out of the gate. But in this example, what I'm going to suggest is this sales manager is going down the wrong path simply because they feel a more efficient approach is the right path. Their impatience is driving them to take an approach that's not likely to lead to anyone changing anything. And this is what I mean by impatience leading to ineffective coaching. I see sales leaders every day opt for efficient solutions that sort of get done quickly. Why? Because they're impatient about the outcome. They need people to turn their results around quickly. The trouble is the quick pass, right? The firing off the message or pushing and telling the team that they need to change their behavior rarely ends in people actually changing their behavior. Why is that? Because we're not selling change in that example. How often have you found yourself in a situation like that in the past? And let's flip the script here. When you've done it well, did you take a more patient, deliberate approach to helping people see the error in their ways? Did you kind of guide them in the right direction by asking them questions? Did you respect the fact that different people on your team will sort of process this issue, this development opportunity that you're bringing up in different ways and at different paces? If so, good job, right? That is the right mindset when it comes to selling change. And that's really what I mean by the fact that patience is a must here. If you wanna be a great sales coach, you have to be patient and deliberate and intentional in the way you approach development opportunities with your team. Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. So I've made reference to why change is so hard and, and talked a little bit about how we have to be patient with people while they're going through the process of buying the changes that we need them to buy. But let's talk about confirmation bias again from a little bit of a different angle, which is essentially, well, how do we overcome it? So the second big point here is that great coaches are great askers and listeners, right? They pull, they don't push. Why is that? Well, because they either know intuitively or they've been taught or have learned through experience those two rules of communication that I mentioned earlier, right? But I'll change the words here just a little bit. That the people we coach value their own conclusions more than what we tell them. The people we coach will value the things that they request more than those things like advice that they are freely given. So coach, your job is to help your people come to the right conclusions about their approach. Your job is to get them to reach the point where they invite your advice or your guidance or support in areas where they're struggling. That's the task. How do we do that? Well, if you've been selling for any period of time, you've probably heard uh, how important it is that we ask questions. It's a direct reflection of what happens when we tell people things, right? We don't give them a chance to come to their own conclusions. Questions are the right behavior here. 
But to go to the next level of detail, a coach's task, a sales coach's task specifically, is to help salespeople, help people on their teams to see things differently. What are those conclusions that we need them to draw? Well, we need them to come to conclusions about problems with their approach. You're not necessarily opening calls effectively would be an example. Put another way, in the words of that seller, the conclusion would sound something like, you know what, I don't think I'm doing a great job of opening calls or, or asking questions to really get the customer talking about what's important to them. That's what we need to be. That's really our, our goal in a coaching conversation. We need to drive those sorts of conclusions about problems in their approach, about maybe opportunities that they're not seeing for themselves. Uh, wow, I just realized I could be taking a completely different approach to demos when I'm meeting with clients, for example. And third, we need them to come to different conclusions about solutions, right? The, the ways that they can go about getting the outcome that they want. So in summary here, right, great coaches ask a lot more than they tell and they listen, they listen. And much like great salespeople, they don't listen to respond and tell more or teach more. They listen to understand. Why is it that this salesperson, for example, isn't seeing the problem in their approach? Um, when I ask them questions, how do they respond? Does it give me some insight into why they're maybe taking a little bit of a, a wrong turn at certain key moments of a sales call or why they're missing the opportunity to connect with key people who are involved in the decision-making process, for example. So when you hear this, coach, this is maybe a little bit of good news and bad news for you. The good news is you know how to ask questions and listen to answers. If you've been an effective seller, especially an effective seller in a, in a more complex sale, I imagine you probably have worked on your questioning skills, asking questions. You may have learned the lessons, maybe the hard way, about the importance of listening. Maybe these are skills that you've really been working on over time. Good news, right? Because it does take time to build effective investigative skills, asking questions, listening to the answers, clarifying those responses, going deeper. That's what I mean by investigative skills. Now, the bad news is, Maybe you've let those skills get rusty. Possible? Well, it's something that I see sales leaders do from time to time, especially if they've been on an accelerated path from frontline leader, perhaps to leader of leaders, or maybe you've just taken on the chief sales officer, head of revenue job in a startup or, or an emerging uh, small business. And your mind has really been focused on the more strategic aspects of the job. Who are our ideal prospects? What does our structure and strategy need to look like? What does compensation need to look like? Well, guess what? You're going to have to dust off those investigative skills because whether you're responsible for individual contributors, field salespeople, inside salespeople, SDRs, or if you're responsible for coaching and developing leaders, your ability to ask effective questions, listen to those responses, and really help your people to arrive at new and different conclusions, then you must achieve mastery in the areas of asking questions and listening. Mastery requires practice, by the way. So, like I said, the bad news may be that if you're rusty in these areas because you've been focusing on other behavior, time is now to dust off those investigative skills, your ability to become a great coach and developer of people 
hinges on that. So that's another way in which great sales coaching looks a lot like great selling. A third way in which these two are remarkably similar is that your objective as a coach is to get specific and time-based commitments from your people. As a professional salesperson, you may recognize that sounds awfully similar to the task that you had when you were an individual contributor. Right? When you went out to meet with or when you were on the phone or meeting over web conference with clients, your objective was to get specific and time-based commitments from your customers. We At Huthway, we call that the advance, right? Let's get a commitment. We wanted it to be something specific that represented forward progress in that case in a, in a sales cycle. But you can hear already the similarity between uh, the sales cycle and the process of buying change on the part of somebody that you're coaching. So your objective, just like when you were a bag carrying individual contributor as a coach is to achieve advances, right? To get specific and time-based commitments with your teams. The behavior required to do that, again, looks awfully similar to a sales call. What do I mean? Well, it means we ask for specific and time-based commitments from our people. What will you do? By when? When will we review progress? Simple questions that we could be asking at the end of every coaching conversation, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one, or if it's an opportunity coaching session or a call coaching session. So again, what will you do by when? When will we review progress? And it's in those three questions you can infer there is a sort of a, a process we're kicking off with a member of our team when we seek and presumably gain those specific and time-based commitments. This is that plan, do, review loop that you probably heard me speak about if you've read or consumed anything I've written in the past. Simple idea that if we are in a process of development, we are coaching a member of our team, there are small changes that we are making over time that will eventually have big impact on this individual's performance. So I said earlier, what we're really doing here is selling change, albeit in small incremental bits. That's what we're talking about here. That at the end of a coaching conversation with a member of your team, when we ask those simple questions, what are you going to do next? By when? And then when are we going to review progress on that thing that you said you would do? All we're really doing is locking in that commitment, which gives us a platform for the next conversation. That's the review and plan do review. Now, a common complaint that I hear from people in sales leadership roles is, especially from chief sales officers as they reflect on how their frontline managers work with salespeople, I'll hear them say things like, you know, we have no accountability here. We have to establish accountability. And um, I know what they mean generally, right? We want people to hold themselves accountable really is what that normally means, that, that people are committed to doing the right things to achieve the results that we need. And we really need a culture of accountability where people are sort of living up to what's expected. The trouble is it's really difficult to hold people accountable without specific and time-based commitments in coaching conversations with them. In my own experience as a leader, one of the most difficult things to do on a daily basis is to kind of keep tabs on all of the various commitments that members of my team have made to me 
to our clients, to others. That task becomes damn near impossible if we don't have specific enough commitments with time boundaries around them. Maybe you can think of a conversation you've had with a member of your team recently where it seems like, yeah, oh, she's got it. She totally understands what needs to happen, what needs to change. We're on the same page, great conversation, and then we leave. Next time around, perhaps it's the following week, next one-on-one -on -one conversation. You ask that seller, well, how did it go? Did you make that change that we talked about last time? And you get the blank stare. So hard to hold people accountable in a moment like that when you allowed that last conversation to end without a very specific commitment from them that they would follow through on by a certain point. That conversation would sound differently if the rep in this example had said, yep, I am going to plan my next five really important calls with customers. I'm gonna to send to you a copy of how I'm gonna open those calls and my first couple of questions so that we can really get the conversation flowing. And I'll do that between now and when we have our next one-on-one -on, -one on Tuesday. It's a lot easier for me as the coach to start that next conversation up in the right place. That would sound something like, wonderful, really enjoyed our conversation last week. I see that you have followed through on what you said you were going to do. You said you were gonna submit plans for five calls. I see them here, let's talk about those. Or on the flip side, it would be, Okay, when we met last, you said specifically you were going to send me some kind of your plan for five calls. I didn't see those. What happened? Talk to me about what it's going to take to make sure that you can do that this week because it clearly didn't happen last week. That's accountability, right? Now, in that example, it's accountability that's established by the leader, which we have to do from time to time. But I would argue we also disable our salespeople, when we don't ask them for specific and time-based commitments, they don't even have the basis to hold themselves accountable to something, to anything. And so really this idea that great coaching also includes a focus on earning specific and time-based commitments is such an important idea. That's why I mentioned it today. So in summary, great coaching looks a lot like great selling in a few ways. Number one, Great coaching acknowledges that change is hard and that patience is required. It takes time to get people to draw the right conclusions. We must be patient with them. Second, to be great coaches, we really have to be great investigators and listeners. We have to ask more than we tell. We have to listen to responses. We have to listen to understand and be willing to ask clarifying questions until we reach clarity. And then third, our objective as coaches is to earn specific and time-based commitments from the people that we coach. Did you find this helpful? I sure hope so. And I hope that you'll join us for the next episode where we will explore what does it really take to develop a great sales team, which is a little bit of a different challenge than developing and coaching individual sellers. It's how do we build that esprit de corps? How do we build a highly motivated team that works well together. I'm so excited about that next episode. We've got some great ideas to share, and I hope that you will join us for that next episode. Until then, this is Matt McDarby, author and host of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye for now. We'll see you in the next episode.